Hey, welcome to Halfway Decent, a Halfway Decent podcast about art history. I am Mike. And I'm Sarah. And welcome back. Yay! Happy fall or winter or... Whenever you're listening spring, to this. Whenever I get it edited. Also that. That's the real question. <laughs> what time in the next six months is this actually going to appear on the internet? I hope within the next month. One would hope. Mm-hmm. One cannot guarantee. Sure. All right. Great. Well, now that we have that out of the way... Mm-hmm. Uh, any, any business to get out of the way? Hmm. Now we never have any business. No, I don't think so. No. No. No, we can do all the plugs at the end. Anyhow, Sarah, what's going on today? <laughs> uh, I would like to teach you a little bit about Joseph Malord William Turner. That is a lot of names that that person contains. Yeah, he usually uh, is referred to as J.M.W. Turner. That's... Or sometimes just Turner. All of those are easier than the full name. Often just Turner. Yeah. Yeah. That that's sense. how I'm going to... That's what I'm going to call him. From this, that's cool. From this point henceforth, he shall be called Turner. Yeah. So let it be written. So let Don't it be done. Be oh. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> what are we? What are we going to learn about Turner today? Well, first, I would like to learn what you know about this person. Do you, does it mean anything to you? Do you know, what, what does it evoke in you? So, I know of the name Turner. I know Turner being a name in the art world. Okay. Aside from that, I know less than nothing. Less than nothing. Yes negative you know negative amount about him if i start to think about turner i lose (laughs) memory that i currently have let's hope this podcast turns that around (laughs) (laughs) it would it would make a world of difference in my life if if it would i bet okay so we need to um kind of define some things set some some boundaries up uh here before we start Lay the boundaries on me. So, um, well, I'll let you know this, that he was born in 1775. Okay. Okay. So more recent than our past. Recent-ish. Yeah. Um, so the genre that was happening at the time, um, and he was kind of a part of it, was landscape painting. Which is just painting of landscape? Yep. Nailed it. <laughs> I should You're be teaching this stuff. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Um, so something that um, I read that made landscape kind of a more popular um, genre of art um, is that the railway system was being expanded in both America and in Europe, gotcha. um, which means that tourism was increasing. Hmm. So with that, the appetite for landscape paintings for your home oh yeah that makes sense you saw the scenery now you want that scenery in your house sure i mean i don't know if it was like a one-for-one like souvenir sort of a thing no but i'm saying like you were able to see maybe you've more seen scenery. more of the world right. kind of a thing yeah okay so we have landscape ha- happening um and also we're kind of at the tail end ish of uh romanticism do you know anything about romanticism? Do I? Mm-hmm. 
ask high school Mike. Oh, you mean the art? No, no, I don't know anything about the oh, art. Oh boy, high school Mike. Ooh. Anyway, um, so the Romantics would use nature as an allegory to comment on spiritual, moral, historical, okay. philosophical philosophical goodness gracious oh we should mention this episode is brought to you by four roses oh i was gonna say having fun but yeah four roses too (laughs) by having fun get right out anyway spiritual moral historical or philosophical if you will ideas and i will so they're using nature. I don't know if you remember the beginning of that sentence <laughs> 10 did. minutes ago. Um, so there is an emphasis on emotion and individualism um, and the intense emotion as a source of your aesthetic experience with an, ap- or an emphasis on emotions like apprehension, horror, terror, awe. So basically... Like, the idea that nature could inspire these, like, big emotions. Okay. So not just, like, using nature to represent emotions, but it also inspires emotions as well. Right. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Yep, you got it. And then um, another kind of idea um, kind of wrapped up in both of those things is the idea of the sublime. Um, And... That is kind of the idea, particularly in nature, that um, it is a greatness beyond the possibility of calculation. So, like, immeasurable greatness is kind of the idea behind the sublime. Sure. Does that make I mean, sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Like, looking at big mountains or the Grand Canyon right. or right. whatever. Sure, yeah. that yeah. makes sense. Okay. Okay, so we got some some kind of groundwork here. So like I said, Turner was born in 1775. He was the son of a barber slash wig maker. Um, And his, so that was his dad. um, And his father was super supportive. Um, He had, he showed talent at an early age. He was um, accepted into the Royal Academy School at age 14, which is pretty young. Um, And his dad would like show his art in his shop and um it talked about how you know all kinds of people have to have their hair done so he had all kinds of clientele into his um barber slash wig making shop and he would like tell people all the time anyone of any kind of influence like you know my son's gonna be an artist Hmm. and um so he was supportive actually throughout his life um turner this kind of giving away I mean, nothing, but Turner never married, um, and his dad, he and his dad lived together. His dad ended up being the guy that, like, mixed his paints for him and stuff, so, um, kind of a lifelong support there. That's awesome. Um, so he was, like I said, very gifted early on, um, but the Royal Academy was basically a drawing school. Um, if you were studying art, you were drawing. Okay. So. Was that just, like, where everyone started or was that i mean kind of yeah i mean they didn't really they didn't really teach you to paint is the thing like they taught you figure drawing and and you know different aspects of art through drawing 
Um, but he had to teach himself how to paint. Wow. Um, which is crazy yeah. when you know that um, he ended up being admitted to the Royal Academy at age 20 and at 21 was um, showing his first oil paints through the a, Academy. A different Royal Academy? No. So that was the, uh, the Royal Academy school versus uh... like... The adult version, I guess. Gotcha. So the I Royal guess. Academy School was you're making. Gotcha. Think. We think. This is what. Not we think. Sarah didn't do enough research to know the difference. Sarah really. did a great number of research. Thank you. The other landscape artists of his time, his contemporaries, you may have heard names like Constable or Friedrich. Um, maybe not. It's fine. Definitely um, not. But they, if you think of like a traditional landscape painting, it's it's serene, it's lovely, it's pretty precise usually. It looks just like a snapshot yeah. maybe of a place. Like a Bob um, Ross. Yeah. And the thing that Turner was doing differently is that he was bringing some of that romantic energy mm. in so um kind of employing some of these ideas about using landscape to make a point mm. on something moral yeah. philosophical etc interesting so before this landscape was just landscape or you were talking about it is supposed to inspire awe and Yes, um, but I mean, really, landscape. Maybe, maybe it'll be more clear once we get started talking about Turner. Um, before, I think landscape was maybe more just pretty. Okay. More just meant to have you say like oh, that sunset. Oh, that. So the mountain range, the movement we're moving, or the the period we're moving into with Turner, mm -hmm. what Turner kind of um, ignites is more of that emotional based landscaping. Yes, gotcha. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. So, with that said, I think we can um, pretty easily move into. Let me just check my notes real quick and see if there's anything I missed. Um, oh, one one thing I wanted to note. Um, so he was actually. He actually became a professor at the Royal Academy and taught there for 30 years. Oh. Um, and he was, interestingly enough, a professor of perspective, which maybe seems odd for a landscape painter, mm. but that's um, kind of what he was the master of. Um, and he really wanted to raise the status of a landscape painting, of landscape painting as a genre to that of the historical painting so that kind of idea is kind of what will lay the framework for what we're gonna gotcha, we're yeah. gonna see cool so in particular with this first painting that we're going to be looking at which is called dido building carthage um so this was painted in mm. 1815 um and it was like we were just talking about um his idea of elevating landscapes to historical paintings um so this is um 
the ancient city of Carthage, um, which was on the northern African coast. And the story is told in the Enid, I don't know how to say that actually, A-E-N-E-D, by Virgil, who's a Roman poet. So the story goes that Dido was the daughter of King Tyre, which is a city in modern Lebanon. And uh, Dido's brother killed her husband, and Dido flees with some of her people. Okay, you're following? So she's princess, her brother kills her husband, and she runs away. Yep. So then she gets to Africa, and um, the wherever she landed, the ruler, um, she went to him and said she would like to buy some of his land to start a city with her whatever followers came her with entourage. her. entourage. Yeah. And he tells her he'll sell her as much land as she can cover with an ox hide. So... Not a lot. Not a lot. Yeah. But she's so smart. She um, and her people take the ox hide and cut it into thin strips and basically use that to create a border <laughs> for the city. And she's able to buy this piece of land. Um, and that city becomes Carthage and she becomes the city's first queen. So is this like an apocrypha kind of? It's like a legend. It's yeah, like a not necessarily I don't, true. I don't know. I think it. I think it's more mythical. True adjacent than anything. I think it's mythical. Yeah. Um. So in the painting, um, Dido is on the left bank of the river in blue, and while a lot of us maybe have never heard this story, Turner's audience would have been really familiar with it. Um. So he's it, he's playing to a story that is known. Yeah. 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 Um, so you can see the glorious sunrise um, kind of elevates the drama of the scene, um, gives it sort of a sense of hope. On the right bank of the river um, is the deserted tomb, which is probably her husband's, her dead husband's tomb. Um, but it might also go to foreshadow the future of Carthage because it was overtaken by Rome in the Punic Wars. As was everything. Right. Rome kind of stomped over everything. Um, so this is, sometimes um, people consider this sort of his magnum opus. And it was basically universally well received. And this is kind of part of the story that I didn't, I didn't quite um, look into. So later in the story, she um, falls in love with a guy named... Amorous, Amorous, um, and he is for some reason forced to move to Italy, forced to leave, and he leaves her behind, and um, that is what ultimately leads to her suicide. Ooh. So this guy um, is supposedly the figure in front of her. Um, who at this point in the story she hasn't actually met yet. So um, it's kind of interesting. They're kind of like pushing all these different parts of the narrative in together. But while it is a story, you know, this well-known narrative, um, it's also very clearly a landscape painting. Yeah, the story is not the focus of the painting itself. Right. The landscaping takes 
uh, catches the eye, especially that little tired tree that's kind of just leaning. <laughs> yeah. Happy little tree. Well, and you can see in this um, with the different buildings that he's put in the different kind of levels of mm-hmm. um, distance that you can see, you know, the fact that he was the perspective professor. I was going to say, it's, it's, it's like he went on to teach perspective almost almost like that yeah so um that's kind of um where kind of our starting point with him because um this is like like we were just talking about the idea of taking landscape and moving it elevating it to the level of i mean like historical paintings were kind of considered the epitome you know that you couldn't do anything better than than doing a historical painting so he was kind of kind of kind of trying to marry the two genres together in this piece yeah appease both worlds right so then the next one if you want to move on um is would i (laughs) this piece is called the fighting temeraire and it was painted in 1838 um so we're kind of Jumping ahead a bit, um, he was 64 when he painted this. So the painting is showing, <clears throat> excuse me, the warship, the Temeraire, being pulled by a steam-powered tugboat. So this kind of marks the dawning of the age of steam. And um, the warship, warship is hard to say. Yes. Not warship. Quite. Uh, the warship is at the end of its useful life. So um, there are a lot of things to be said about it. Um, it uh, is in its final journey. So um, the, the ship was in the military fleet in the Battle of Trafalgar. Um, but this is 33 years later, and it was unused and decaying and so um they towed it up the thames to be broken up in a shipyard and um at the time when it was actually i mean like this is an actual event that happened um however the way turner is portraying it is the temeraire sort of in its glory days um at the time when it was actually tugged up the Thames, it no longer had its masts. Mm. Um, a lot of the pieces had been broken off and sold. Um, and so it's kind of interesting that he portrays it not only in that way, um, but you can kind of see that it's shown almost sort of like ghostly. Yeah. Um, it also is flying a white flag, which in actuality means that it was being used as a commercial vessel. Um, but in the painting, because of this sort of ghostly appearance of it, it almost shows like it's surrendering hmm. to its final destination. Um, it's interesting too, like in contrast to the, the little steamboat, there's, you know, this big difference in color. Like you said, there's that ghostly color of the ship and then the steamboat is a much more, I don't know if a dense color is the yeah. right word. It's yeah. a lot darker. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the other thing about it is that he's kind of contrasting kind of the old 
and the new technologies even, you know, a, a difference even between like noise versus silence. Like when mm -hmm. you look at that tugboat, you can kind of almost hear the wheels turning in the, in the water and the engine and the roar and the mechanics. Yeah, it whereas almost, it the, almost looks like it's vibrating versus right. the other ship. Whereas the, the Temeraire is just kind of rippling yeah. softly through the water. Um, so he is trying to pay tribute to this ship, which is kind of heroic and held in kind of high esteem um, in British eyes. Um, so the the sunset kind of serves as a symbol of like <laughs> the sun going down on that era. Yeah. Um, not only of the ship and its useful life, but also of sail ships in general. Um, this is just kind of a random fun fact that I read somewhere that um, the term tugging as meaning like being towed by a boat, this in or this event is actually the first time that verb was used. By it, who? I mean, in the media, I guess, oh. covering the event. <laughs> because there are no words on this. Oh, or... sure, sure. I don't mean the painting. I mean the event oh. when it happened. Gotcha. So focused on talking about art. Instead of <laughs> we're talking about real life, too. I mean, this did actually, like I said, this did actually happen. It just sure. didn't quite look the same. Um, this painting is one of Turner's best preserved pieces. Um, he liked to experiment mixing different pigments uh, or different materials with his pigments. Um, and so uh, in this particular one, um, they have, it's held up pretty well, but there are other ones that um, the mixtures kind of have broken down yeah. over the years. Yeah, that makes sense. And then um, just kind of the last thing I'll say about it, um, it was pretty well received by the public, and Turner used to call it My Old Darling because mm -hmm. he kind of knew how well, how good it was yeah. and how well it was received by the public. Well, I'm at 64 years old. Mm -hmm. He probably had a pretty good idea of what was going <laughs> to. He painted this like, well, this is just dog doo-doo. I'm not with this. <laughs> You I'll sell this for $20. Yeah. This one, though, is yeah. great. Okay, so um, we're going to kind of go similar but also pretty different direction with our next one. Yay. Yay. Another ship. This one is called uh, the Slave Ship, mm. and it is based on an incident um, that was published in a widely read book called The History of the Abolition of the Slave Trade. So it was, um, the incident actually took place in 1781, um, but the book had been reprinted in 1839, and this was painted in 1840. So, so he may have just read it for the first time. At that right, point. and it was kind of in the public consciousness gotcha. at the time. Yeah. Um, so the story is that, um, the captain of a slave ship realized that his insurance company would only reimburse him for slaves that were lost at sea and not ones that just died during the passage. So he ordered all of the sick and dying slaves to be thrown overboard during a storm. And so that's what's 
being depicted in this painting. So you can see the sort of frantic and emotional kind of response. I mean, contrasted with the last one that we looked at, where it was fairly peaceful, pretty realistic. I mean, there was a little bit of like atmosphere and water things happening, kind of a blending, but this one is much more emotional in its depiction. Also, this one I can't make jokes about. So correct. That's correct. Appreciate yeah. you bringing it down. Sorry. It is really beautiful and heart-wrenching and elicits a lot of emotions for sure. Sure. Um, so the the ship, you can kind of see going back into the distance. Um, but the waves, if you look closely, um, are filled with bodies. Yep. And if you look even closer, um, there you can see wrists and ankles that still have manacles and um you know different things um so all of that iron was weighing them down so they basically didn't stand a chance of making it the painting is beautiful but this sucks yeah it's it's heart-wrenching yeah man um and you can see i mean because like I was just saying, you have to look closer and then look closer again. The figures are so small compared to the sea and the sky. Um, so that's kind of that idea of like bringing that sense of <laughs> awe and terror from nature, but also like there's a his- history narrative being told um, ship, at the same time. The ship make it back? What do you mean? To oh, to wherever port, it was going. I assume. That's too bad. Okay. <laughs> That's the other thing. You want there's, that guy to come get his comeuppance? Yeah. Yeah. There's almost a sense of like, it looks like the waves are attacking the ship. Yeah. I wonder if there's some of, uh, I don't know Turner's beliefs, obviously. I don't know him personally. Oh, you, know oh, you don't? Hmm. For a guy that was never talked to dead him. before you were born? Correct. Uh, but it feels like almost i mean i'm assuming he was a white guy because most of them are sure um, but it it feels like there's some emotion behind even yeah. some of like painting the ship and the waves right engulfing the ship and whatnot yeah um he's definitely using especially color in this yeah. painting um very expressively um, the intensity of the colors and the breath strokes kind of emphasize the chaos that's happening in the scene. Um, and it's kind of one of the first times that um, color isn't used to create distinct outlines, but rather to express the force of nature and mm-hmm. the emotional response. Um, things are kind of <laughs> blurred together a little yeah. bit. Um and he was kind of discovering the power of using color and trying to push uh, the medium of oil painting to the point where the paint itself is almost the subject of the painting. Um, and you can see kind of a, a line um, straight from his kind of art to the abstract painters of the 20th century 
Yeah. In that kind of idea. Sure. Yeah. You can also, I mean, you can, there's a lot of commentaries being made in this painting, but one, one of the commentaries, um, would be that, uh, you know, a commentary on man's inhumanity against fellow man for the sake of profit. Yeah. I think it's a, an interesting painting too, because I think the commentary would probably differ depending on who's looking at the painting as well. I think, I think it's probably one of the good representations of, um, art is in the high, eye of the high, Ooh, nailed it. Uh, eye of the beholder. Mm Um, you know, someone like me who, even though I may be a cis white dude, um, you know, look at this and I see, I feel that emotion of the dying slaves and the frustration and whatnot. Um, I can also imagine, you know, someone who then may have been pro-slavery and seeing the ship in the light area and the slaves in the dark area and maybe seeing some of that play as well, you know, um, that, I don't know, with, with any kind of art, you can only control so much, um, but people who are still going to read into it, what they want to read into it and see what they want to see. Sure. I mean, there's kind of always that, that debate of, um, is the meaning of a piece determined by the artist or by the viewer? Yeah. You know, especially like in the, in the titling of a piece, mm-hmm. um, that kind of is sort of all the artist has sometimes beyond the paint itself or, you know, the piece itself Yeah. to determine what, what the viewer is going to take it as. Yeah. It's not like we have the opportunity to sit and talk to Turner about this right. or even, you know, walking through, uh, the art district here and, and seeing some art. We may have the opportunity to talk to an artist, but maybe not if, it's hard to not to, to know what they are trying to say well and even if you do know if what you see and perceive and interpret yeah. a piece to be um is that more or less valid than what the artist says it's supposed to be or if you're just like me then anyone can tell me anything and i'll just see that <laughs> whatever that there. makes sense uh-huh yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, then we will move on from there to our final piece. Which is it is happier? Slightly, yeah. I think so. I mean, yes, definitely. It okay, is. thank you. For sure. So this one is called oh. Rain, Steam, and Speed hyphen the Great, Res- Sorry, the Great Western Railway. Hmm. This was painted in 1844. And so initially... Obviously, it's a train, um, and you really get the sense of the train hurtling forward. Um, Someone compared it to, you know, that you hear the stories of, like, early cinema, and they had uh, footage of a train coming toward the camera, and people would, like, oh, run from the theater because there's a train coming at them or whatever. I don't know if those stories are actually true, but this kind of is that same idea. Um, it's like he was using perspective almost almost like that 
good. Um, you can really see that the main, maybe only thing in focus in the whole painting is the engine of the train. Um, so it really contrasts that single solid black engine with the ephemeral misty sort of atmosphere all around it. Um, you have the train puffing smoke on a bridge on a rainy day. Um, so there's a lot of atmosphere going on. Um, and you can kind of see it hearkening back to uh, some of the things that we talked about with the Temeraire. Um, if you look really closely on the left side, there's a tiny little rowboat. So it's kind of a commentary as well. Um, in the background, actually beyond the rowboat, there is a bridge, and that would have been sort of a footbridge. Um, people would have ridden horses across it, um, but both of those things can't compare to the technology of a locomotive. So it's almost the dichotomy of, of the future and the past together. Right. And, yeah. Right. Speaking of which, um, if you look the rowboat there and then on the right-hand side, there's kind of like a little farming scene. I don't know how well you can tell in this image, Mike. Um, but there is a farmer plowing and both the rowboat and the farmer are facing, are like pointed toward... <laughs> the middle, the back, uh, going backwards, hmm. whereas the train is coming forward, like into the future. Yeah. Um, I don't know and if that was in... looking forward. Yeah. I don't know if that was intentional or, or just coincidence, but, um, from what I know of Turner, I think it was totally yeah, I something. Was, I think it was intentional. Um, so this, like I said, this is a painting of the great Western railway, um, and that was kind of the jewel in the crown of the railway system um, before the railroad, kind of like we were just talking about, um, no one had gone faster than a horse. And so suddenly, you know, before too long, they're going 40, 50 miles an hour. No one had, you know, breakneck speed. Exactly. Um, and so you can see, well, you can kind of see it is there, but it's very hard to see, I guess, even in the real one. Um, but there is a tiny little hair running in front of the train. So in Britain, at least at the time, maybe for always, I don't know, uh, the hare would have been the fastest natural animal. So you have <laughs> nature versus technology um and well, i've got some nature documentaries that i've watched and i can tell you what the fastest animal is i mean not on earth <laughs> in britain michael fine find a faster one in britain i dare you bet me i bet you i cannot run a hare hares run 50 miles an hour and Anyway, some more things about this painting. Sure. Um, so what it is depicting, um, if you look kind of behind the engine, if you can see anything behind the engine, um, it was a third-class passenger train. And one of the lectures that I, that I listened to about this, um, they said that there was some kind of legislation passed 
that um, this would be sort of like a commuter train and the fares were like super low, like a penny, a ride, or a half penny or something. So um, it was a commuter train um, in this particular instance was before they had passed that um, the <laughs> all, all passenger trains needed to have a... Uh, like a covering of some kind. So it's all rainy and misty and it's an uncovered uh, train car. <laughs> that may be the worst way to travel. I mean, it feel it seems like it would be. I uh, used to own a motorcycle, as you know, but mm -hmm. for our listeners out sure. there. And I once rode from Northeast Ohio to Columbus in the rain and... That felt like bullets, and I was doing like 30. I cannot imagine. You were going faster than 30. We were on the highway. Well, at times, I was, even at 30 is what I should have said. Uh, so I can't imagine what doing 50 miles an hour in the rain in an open yeah. train car. That sounds awful. Sure. Yeah. Um, so it kind of shows also uh, how the modern world was changing um, with these new technological changes. The railway itself was changing the landscape, hmm. um, you know, to make room for all of the rails, they had to buy up people's land, you know? I mean, just like today, when you want to develop more, you have to buy land from someone yep. or from somewhere. <clears throat> so, um, it was sort of, literally changing people's lives i mean sure. like these workers um being able to commute that quickly um but also you know the the, the way the landscape looks yeah just a little kind of side note about that little rowboat um i heard somewhere that um i guess back when he was in school turner used to go out on a little rowboat and um sketch with a little hmm. parasol and if you look really really closely there one of the fingers is in the rowboat with a parasol so um someone posited that perhaps it's also a look back on his personal past um not only in terms of you know technology broadly uh you know but maybe it's also kind of a personal statement on his own past sure yeah so uh, at the time, his contemporaries still painting very literally and realistically. Um, but in this painting, um, the paint is super thick. Um, so it is <laughs> was applied much differently than um, those of his peers. Uh, in this one, I mean, we as a modern audience can kind of recognize some of these things um, because they came later in art history um, but if you kind of stick your face in through the picture plane in a sense um, you get the the sense from the way the the paint itself is applied that you know you would stick your head in and you'd instantly be hit in the face with the feel of the rain and the smell of the smoke from the engine and, you know, all of these things. It's very sort of visceral. Um, and it was intentional on Turner's part, but also 
pretty revolutionary yeah. for his time. Um, I think other members of the Royal Academy would have thought he was crazy to watch him slapping paint about <laughs> on mm. the canvas. Um, but uh, it shows that he really understood, for example, how steam harnesses the power of heat, which you can see like in the front of the engine there, um, even though you can't actually see the fire <laughs> when you look at the front of a train, even a steam train like this one was, you couldn't actually, you wouldn't actually be able to see the fire that was being made in the engine compartment. Like they, he kind of didn't care about that. He just like wanted to show the heat and the power of that um, being turned into motion and still was able to create beauty out of that sort of modernization. So some people have called his uh, version the industrial sublime. So most landscapers and other landscapers, landscape <laughs> artists, this is a different thing. Uh, most landscape artists would have considered the sublime to be anything would have presupposed anything mechanical or industrial to be the enemy, the opposite of what they were going for. And Turner takes that industry, that technology, and marries it into the nature and turns it into something beautiful. Yeah. Um, in this painting in particular, you can't really tell where the sky and the sea separate um, and which is very impressionistic um, but this was painted in 1844 and the impressionists don't come around until 18 the 1870s so he was I mean we use it every stupid podcast but ahead of his time yeah by 30 years, you know, 25 years at least. Um, and it was, you know, those impressionist artists um, would have been coming in and seeing his work in either, I don't know if it was the Royal Academy still. It probably would have been. Eventually it turned into the National Gallery. Oh, okay. Um, those were kind of the same um, so, um, I mean, that's the last piece. Um, just a couple of notes to wrap up. Like I said, um, other, uh, impressionists would have seen his work. Um, folks like Pissarro or even Monet would have been influenced yeah. by the work that he did. And like we said, um, the abstract expressionists, people like Pollock, Jackson Pollock um, kind of were influenced by him. Um, and kind of a final note, he is considered to be such an important artist in Britain that this year, as of February, I think, um, his portrait along with the Temeraire are um, being printed on the 20-pound note. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I will say that when you said landscape, I was not picturing anything like this. Yeah. I was picturing, like, 
of flowing meadow and some trees. Yeah, sort or... of more Bob Rossy. Yeah. Yeah. Or even that uh, was Bob Ross hyphen Y. Everybody knew what you were talking okay. about. We... I just wanted everyone <laughs> to know that I know Bob Ross's name. Or who is the uh, haystack guy? The guy who did the haystacks. Mm-hmm. You're waiting for me to remember. Mm-hmm. Said his name about five seconds ago. Jackson Pollock. <laughs> just kidding. I know it's not him. Monet. Yep, that's the one. Yep. Good golly. Well, yeah, I, I think of something like that, but then Monet's other stuff, I see a lot of his inspiration from this last painting we look at. Um, and then we were also talking about how we're not while y'all were listening to us this is before you could <laughs> um today about how some of the most notable artists in any form are the ones who are pushing boundaries and trying new things and yeah. reinventing their um what's it called genre yeah genre is a good word for it um one example we talked about was like the Beatles who were, you know, this kind of revolutionary group and changed the sound of music, not the sound of music, but the, sound. the hits, so. <laughs> um, so yeah, but it's also so often we talk about artists and they are changing things, but not recognized till later. And right. it's nice to, to talk about someone who not only was he, known in his time but he was mm -hmm. also supported from a young age as well and, yeah um yeah i, I think know. he's a pretty rare example yeah it's, well <laughs> usually but... usually they you know die starving and yeah. then later are discovered for their genius right and they their art comes out of sadness and struggle right um but it is interesting to see that uh what can happen when you are well supported and loved and and fostered and not just i mean yeah. we didn't get a lot into his personal life he wasn't necessarily the most well-adjusted person well but yeah uh you know yeah he did have support in his art artistic uh endeavors yeah cool yeah well, that's all i had that's all i, I got didn't have anything yeah you didn't bring anything no to the table. I, I well i brought this glass of stuff but yeah it's all melted now yeah it is um well thanks y'all for listening uh if you heard any jangling our cat walked into the room and was hanging out maybe one of these days he'll uh offer some insight probably not he's dumb um it is in the united states october so make sure you're registered to vote i don't care who you vote for just go out and vote Michael, you're presupposing this is coming out before the election. It's coming out before an election. <laughs> Just for all the times. Make yeah. sure you're registered to vote. I mean, it's true. <laughs> you should be registered you're to vote. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, thank you to my girl, my whiskey and me, uh, no for pee. the use of our intro and outro music. They're awesome. Uh, go look them up on yeah. all the places. Their music is lovely. Yeah, it is great, and uh, they have an adorable kid that occasionally you get to see online, but not very often, which I totally get. Um, yeah, I guess until next time, 
stay safe, wash your hands, mm-hmm. um, do what you gotta do, and uh, don't forget. It's just hard. Yeah.